And now, it's time for the biggest bonanza in podcasting. With Dominic Stern and Nicholas Hodell, this is the College Basketball Bonanza! Welcome into the College Basketball Bonanza. we got all kinds of fantastic content planned out for you today. I'm Nicholas Hodell. As always, Dominic Stern is by my side. And for today's episode, we also have the triple threat duo of Keith Dotley and Harris Hicks. Gentlemen, how's it going on this uh, final show of May? Pretty dandy. You know, just been uh, relaxing all summer, but, you know, I'm ready to watch, ready to get caught up with college basketball and get into it. Yeah, I agree with you. And I'd be remiss if I didn't say shout out Ty Conrad, uh, our third. 100%. <laughs> our third host that couldn't be here today. But uh, yeah, thanks for having us on again, guys, and can't wait to get into it. Yeah, Harris and Keith in order their voices. Don, how are you doing, buddy? Doing good. A lot of MLB the show lately. You know, uh, that's one of the games that I've been very passionate about. And I don't do anything on weekdays. I only work on weekends. So my weekdays have been filled with MLB the show and a lot of Padres, best record in baseball right now. It's quite the time. Yeah, I certainly can't blame you, especially about the content MLB the show dropped. And of course, I'm just freaking out and nervous about the Champions League final with Manchester City, but that's a conversation for a whole nother day. Let's get straight into our plan for this program. We've got a lot to talk to you about, including our Cinderella tournament, which will be reaching the regional finals this coming week. But let's get into the current landscape and first up, Gonzaga on the list with Drew Timmy announcing that he would indeed return to the Gonzaga Bulldogs. And I think that this guy is going to make Gonzaga once again one of the teams to watch over the course of the upcoming season. And of course, what Gonzaga is trying to do with their non-conference schedule as well as the Gonzaga Bulldogs have been trying to get all the best teams in their really top-heavy schedule out of the way early on. And prepare them uh, since West Coast Conference, of course, doesn't necessarily do that for the program of Gonzaga's caliber. And some of the talks recently have been a head-to-head with Texas during this year in Spokane, a game against Alabama and Seattle, trying to bring back the battle in Seattle. And they've also had discussions with UCLA on a potential rematch of the epic Final Four encounter. So, gentlemen, first off, just on on the Drew Timmy front, where does he really put this Gonzaga team now in terms of expectations for next season? Well, I think the expectation once again for Gonzaga is that they're going to try and run the table in the West Coast Conference, which is, of course, they've proven not to be too extremely difficult in the past, but to also be a number one seed entering the NCAA tournament and give themselves the best shot at winning the first national title because the program they've gotten so close They've gotten to two national title games in the past five years now, but they haven't quite gotten over that hump. And Drew Timmy, he's not the best big man, as we definitely saw in this tournament. He certainly had a fantastic tournament, but he he puts Gonzaga in that conversation because they're also going to get Chet Holgram, who's going to be a huge piece for them. And now they're going to have two dominant opposing big men that teams are going to struggle to defend against. And I'm really excited to see Gonzaga basketball again. Yeah, I'll go ahead and say that it puts them as definitively the number one team in the country yet again. I mean, you have Drew Timmy and Dom mentioned it, mentioned it, Chet Holmgren, the number one recruit in the country. This is going to be by far the best front court in the country next year. And then you also have 
Andrew Nemhard coming back in the backcourt. You get Nolan Hickman, the commitment from Kentucky, now going to Gonzaga. And, I mean, Hunter Salas, another top five, top ten caliber prospect. So this team has the experience. They have the youth. And Mark Few is going to have another chance to win a title. And we've seen a lot of other coaches struggle to capture that first title. It's very elusive. But if you keep assembling great teams – the way college basketball is going right now, you're going to win a title eventually. And I think that, again, this has the making to be his best team ever, just like last year. Yeah, Keith, you pretty much, you know, you pretty much stole all my points. But yeah, I mean, Gonzaga for the second straight season is staring at a preseason number one ranking. And for them right now, it's title or bust. And with Drew Timmy, a guy who's averaging 19 points and seven rebounds, could be a candidate for national player of the year. Deciding to come back is huge for the Bulldogs and just another get for a stacked roster for Mark View. Yeah, and I really think that now it is a national championship that has become Gonzaga's glass ceiling in which they just can't seem to get over that hump. And I think first off for Drew Tenney person, this is a great decision for him. I do think that there are some things he needs to work on. And I think Dom know that Drew Tenney wasn't exactly the best of the big men in this past NCAA tournament. So he really did what he had to do. And now that he is pretty much the st- one of these stars now, this Gonzaga team, I think that he's going to have a great year to be able to work on his skills, especially if it is the NBA that Timmy's ultimate goal is. And I really think that one of these days, the glass is going to shatter for this Gonzaga team. One of these days, they're going to do it. And I really love the fact that they are scheduling some of the top programs on the non-conference because this Gonzaga program knows that it's not exactly going to be a West Coast conference schedule that prepares you for March. It's going to be what you do in the non-conference, being able to see some of the best early on. And I love the fact that they continually do this. They did, they did this last year and really impressed. And now with the Texas head-to-head starting up this year, again against Alabama being in the talks for Seattle, then they've had the discussions with UCLA. I really think that this program continuously – hits the head right where it needs to be. I, I really do think that the Gonzaga Bulldogs, they know what they're doing. They know their situation with their conference, and they just know that for the program of their caliber, they can't be going out and scheduling all cupcakes because you're not going to get that straight to schedule on the back end of your conference slate, uh, except for really the outer ear when BYU is really good and St. Mary's is really good. It just isn't going to happen for most of the time. So I really think that Gonzaga continuously does itself in favors by talking with Texas and talking with Alabama and having those discussions with UCLA uh, to get those to get those games. Speaking of UCLA, it was reported earlier this week the Round of the Legends Classic Providence is replacing them. This comes on the heels of a venue change to the Prudential Center in Newark, New Jersey, and obviously venues and. We're a big venues at that and big tournaments. It's what gets the bigger programs uh, really to these venues. And now that the Legends Classic is going to be making that move over to the Prudential Center, do you think that this potentially in the future could take the Legends Classic down a step? Still a really good 14 field in Virginia, Providence, Georgia, and Northwestern. But it does kind of feel like in, in, in years to come, but perhaps this MTE could take a, a little bit of a, a step down as far as prestige goes. 
I think it definitely could. I mean, I think you've kind of seen it taking a little bit of a step down anyways in the past couple of years. And then you see UCLA, they want to go across the country, but then it gets changed and they say, no, we don't need to per- participate in this. And the four getting this year are Virginia, Providence, Georgia, and now Northwestern. You're, you're not getting the same caliber of programs out there. So I think it definitely is on its way down. Yeah. And in the past, I mean, like you said, Dom, it has been down in quality a little bit. In 2019, we saw Auburn, Richmond, New Mexico, and Wisconsin. And just, you know, recently there's been teams like, you know, UCLA back in the older days. Michigan State has participated in this tournament. Sorry about the dogs, minor mishap there. But, yes, there has been a lot of quality in this tournament, and my dogs agree. <laughs> yeah, that I mean, that's a pretty good uh, unanimous agreement if all five dogs that Harris has agreed on his take. <laughs> Um, and yeah. <laughs> I'll agree with them. I mean, you look at the history of this tournament. It was as recent as 2012 that you had Indiana defeating Georgetown in the final. Now that's two of the top five to 10 most storied programs in the history of college basketball. But you see teams that have played recently in the final. They're your Richmond's, Penn State, Northwestern, ASU even, not a historical powerhouse. So yeah, it's definitely on its way down. But as they go down, there's always going to be MTEs to bring them up. And especially what we saw with COVID with teams assembling at a bubble and being able to play multiple rounds of games. I I think that while the Legends Classic may fall, you're going to see a whole world open up uh, with MTEs because of COVID. Yeah, and of course, we wouldn't be remiss if we mentioned UCLA being in that 2012 field as well as, as the 13th ranked team. And of course, the 2014 field as well had a really good field with Philadelphia and Michigan both being the top 20 in the 2014 season when that term was, was starting as well as a 14th ranked VCU Rams team. Uh, but this tournament in the past has had the occasional ranked team in there who would, would be in the you know top 20 or so. You probably get one of those teams uh, in the field. Uh, every every year uh, but I really think that part of that was because of being in a situation to where you were going to be in the Barclays Center uh, in, in Brooklyn and, and I and I think that that was definitely it's, it's definitely part of the appeal location 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 I absolutely think is part of that appeal uh, what what you have now uh, of course with what is going to be a uh, a four team yet again. I, I just think that perhaps being at the Prudential Center instead of the Barclays Center could potentially take that event down a little bit. I wouldn't say by much, um, but I, I do think that when you, when you do get into the, uh, the situation of where teams would like to be able to play, um, I, I do think that you're going to end up uh, with that particular situation uh, happening and of course, uh, in, in this particular year, um, you're going to have the PK85 um, for 2022, rather. That could also affect the Legends Classic again in 2022. Um, the, the type of teams that that event brings in, of course, the PK80 did such a fantastic job of bringing in a high-quality field. But I will be curious to see where the Legends Classic goes in the next several years. Maybe 2022 becomes an anomaly, um, but if that anomaly becomes a trend, then perhaps the Legends Classic does take a step back and we have we can attribute it to the fact that they are in the Prudential Center instead of being in Brooklyn, New York. And I, I, I just think that as far as uh, MTEs go, that there's always going to be a shift 
in, in where that lies. I, I mean, I, I really can just speak to when the bar, the, uh, the battle for Atlantis started up and, and how quickly through the ranks that that particular event has just shot up to the top of the board as far as MTEs go. Uh, but of course, always sort of shifting and well, I'll be very curious to see if something similar uh, happens. Uh, final piece of current news I want to discuss, AJ Brava decommitting from his originally uh, transferred to Arizona State and recently announced that he would now be going to Nevada, which I know Don and I were talking a little bit before we recorded. I know you are not particularly happy about that. Well, I mean, AJ Brahma's got to do whatever's best for his career. I mean, that's obviously most important. But uh, to be an Arizona State student and have him commit to transferring to my school and then have him decommit, I was bummed. And then for him to commit to transfer to a rival school of my hometown team, San Diego State, was uh, was a little bit of a salt in the wound, a little bit. But Nevada, they've been a very good program as of late, you know, making the tournament the past couple of years and then in the other years in between that with Coach Steve Alford at the helm instead of Musselman. They haven't been as good, but they've still been at the top of the Mountain West Conference. And maybe Brahma coming in, he's going to play in a little bit higher of competition. Of course, Robert Morris to Nevada is a bit of a jump. Yeah, you're not going to see him put up the 18 points per game that he was over there, but I think you're going to be seeing a dependent score on an already really young and talented Nevada team that could be competing for the Mountain West Conference title this year. Yeah, I think that really at the end of the day, he sort of saw a brighter situation for him uh, in in the Nevada Wolfpack, which I think college players now more than ever uh, have really been looking at the Chanterpura as an opportunity to really up their stature really and, and get themselves uh, either more playing time or being in a better league. And uh, really for Yuki, what do you think Brown's going to uh, bring to Nevada? Yeah. I mean, Nevada's turning into transfer you and we see this a lot with Steve Alford. I mean, he did it in New Mexico and then he goes to UCLA and doesn't need to use that route. But when he's at the mid-major level, we know he likes to utilize transfers. When you look at this team now, Addison Patterson, the transfer from Oregon, He's going to be there. Grant Sherfield, the high scoring guard from Wichita State. He's there. And then they got Will Baker, a seven foot prize from the University of Texas, my team. Uh, and he never played a ton for Texas, but a former borderline four star, five star guy, top 40 type guy. Um, and so they have four mid to high major players. And if we include the American, that's four high major players who were factors on their team. So I think that this is a big get and I think that Nevada could be a powerhouse in the mountain West as it keeps improving with San Diego state already being great. And then I think you're going to see Nevada rise as a kind of co-power in that conference. I know you don't like to hear that Dom. Yeah. And, and really the, the past couple of years uh, under Steve Alford have been sort of a little bit of a decline from what Eric Musselman brought Nevada. Uh, but I think you're right, Keith, and that I think Nevada wants to be at the level they were at under um, Musselman. And I think that that is becoming a more and more difficult task, uh, which I, I think is, is great for the Mountain West, quite frankly, to have that sort of uh, competition. And I guess I really uh, go back to Dom and, you know, w- what exactly uh, you expect uh, Brahma to uh, bring, uh, perhaps particularly against San Diego State. Yeah, I was first off going to say that I think the San Diego State basketball program wants Nevada to be good because they don't want the conference to be bad 
and be a one. It should have been a one bid league this past year. I don't think Utah State deserved to be in the field of 68. They want the conference to be better, so that way their strength of schedule looks a little bit better. They don't get stuck as a six seed despite winning the last 14 games in pretty much dominant fashion and getting stuck with the stupid two-free zone of Syracuse and just having their worst game of the season. And that that's you get clowned on national television. I don't think San Diego State wants that. I think they want a tougher conference that is going to bring its level of play up the entire year and, you know, make San Diego State better for, for March. And so I think I – don't, I don't think Brahma is the one guy that's going to do that, but – if Nevada can get back to that level, if Utah State can stay where they've been with Craig Smith, if Boise State can once again be good, if Colorado State can build on a really strong year, I think you could be talking about a really good conference as well as UNLV and New Mexico trying to get back to where they once were. The Mountain West should be good. It should be better than some of these other conferences that have jumped them in the past couple of years. And it, it could start with Nevada. And I think Brahma could be a, uh, a, a very good – program coming up and yeah craig smith he uh i mentioned him he, he's at utah now he left utah state three years there and they made three ncaa tournaments so they were going to be in the one after they uh they won the mountain west conference championship but covid didn't allow him to play yeah and really despite all the success that some of the teams in the top had this year a couple of nit birds and san Diego state ended up getting a, a six and uh, that still wasn't enough for the Mountain West to be in the top 10 in the Kempom rank, partly because of some of the uh, shortcomings of teams like San Jose State and Air Force and even New Mexico uh, as well. Uh, for Harris, do you see the Mountain West um, trying to really turn around and get themselves not only back into the top 10 in the Kempom rank, but being more of a conference that can consistently get multiple bids, um, not just two, but perhaps even three or four um, into the NCAA tournament in future years. Well, I always question how these a team with a bunch of transfers pans out. We've seen New Mexico recently with Carlton Bragg and Jaquan Lyle get a bunch of transfers, but it hasn't necessarily panned out. Now, Nevada might be going towards that realm, I would have to say. I'm not sure if it's going to be like it's it's golden days of the 2010s when the Mountain, early 2010s when the Mountain West had multiple bids almost every year, but... I don't think it's going to be that bad either. I think there can be a couple teams, San Diego State with Brian Ditcher, obviously. And Nevada's getting good players too. Utah State did lose Craig Smith, as Dom mentioned, so that's a big, bit of a bummer. But, you know, Colorado State, I believe, is returning a lot as well. I may be wrong, but there, but yes. So it's going to be an interesting conference, how it will unfold. But I think there is some bright spots for a three to four bid league, Nick. Yeah, I really think that for the Mountain West to turn the corner and really get themselves to that particular point, it's going to have to really start with getting their strength of schedule within the conference better. And the one way that I could really see uh, to really do that effectively is sort of make sure that those, that the attitude of the firing progress becomes more ambitious um, than, than what it has been. Obviously, with the type of performance that Air Force and San Jose State put in, it, re it really got to the point to where those conferences sort of brought down um, the uh, conference strength of schedule. And really, particularly later on in a season, those are the types of situations that could potentially cost your, your league a bid if those, if those teams that haven't quite done so all of a sudden knocks off one, one of your better ones and really makes things difficult. Uh, on you and I really think that over the course of time 
uh, the Mountain West could potentially uh, chew themselves up. And we really saw that with Boise State, uh, losing to Fresno State, uh, the last game of the regular season. Uh, TNA had previously beaten in the middle of January by a good bunch of points and then losing in their first game in the Mountain West turn, they get a two seed in the NIT. I really think that at the end of the day, you really have to make sure your conference is well-rounded and you don't have a situation to where a team that hasn't quite been as good can knock one of your top ones up and all of a sudden cost your beta league. I think that for the Mountain West to get to the three or four seed spots, they got to, I think the conference really needs its bottom teams to be much better and ensure that those bottom teams cannot lurk up on your top teams and all of a sudden cost your league a bid because when you cost your league a bid, you cost your league money. And I know no person in this universe likes being cost money uh, at all. But back to the transfer portal side of things with Rama taking an opportunity uh, to decommit from his original transfer plans, transfer out to Nevada. Um, do you guys think that kids are afraid of competition? Do you think these guys are just trying to look out and make sure they're trying to get better playing time? What do you guys think is sort of the, the landscape of, of the transfer portal when it comes to the attitude of the kids? I think it's extremely unfair to like criticize the kids and say like, oh, they're afraid of the competition and whatnot because we don't know what's going on in their particular circumstance. So it's kind of a case-by-case basis, but I think these kids are just trying to do what's best for them their basketball future, their education future, and just their life future. I mean, you know, these, these kids are making very important decisions on whether or not, you know, where they're committing to go to their school, whether they're going to transfer and where they're going to transfer to. And some situations just don't end up being what they expected them to be. You know, it's tough. I mean, that's life. And these kids are very fortunate. They have the opportunity to transfer and they're taking advantage of the opportunity. So I don't think it's some backing down from stuff. I think it's just them taking advantage of the opportunities that are presented to them and them hope, hoping that they can, uh, you know, be better for it. Yeah, for sure. You make a good point. I sort of think of it like this. It's deciding a normal human being thinking, where are they going to go to college? Except there's an element of basketball to it. There's an element of a division one sport, but to me, I mean, it's just a change of scenery. Some guys don't get the amount of playing time that they want. Some guys just want to win. And some guys want to get noticed and go to bigger schools and get sort of more publicity and get more known for the for the NBA draft and all that because people in the future are trying to make money to play the sport that they love. And I just think that's what every single decision that these players make, I think you can't not mention the fact that they all want to make money playing basketball one day, most of them at least. So that's my input on that. Yeah, I mean, is anyone mad at Johnny Juzang? I mean, we just all saw the run he went on, and I, I don't, I didn't see anyone during the tournament saying, "Oh, he transferred from Kentucky." You know, that's he—he he was too softy at point time. That no, I mean, he transfers from Kentucky, gets in a good situation, he goes to the Final Four, while Kentucky has their worst season they've ever had under Coach Cal. You know, and maybe me and Harris are biased because we got Justin Powell, Christian Bishop, Devin Askew, all these you know, prizes in the transfer portal for our favorite teams. But I mean, if one of us wanted to transfer away from ASU, could we do that? Yes. I mean, if we thought that Syracuse or Missouri or some other school would give us better opportunities in sports journalism, we could do that. And no one would knock us for that. They would say, okay, that's what you're doing to put yourself in a better position to have a good career in the future. So, you know, it's, is there a lot going on? Yes. Is it hard to follow? Yes. But 
we can't hate on these kids and they're, they're doing what they're afforded the opportunity to do. I, I think that the, the case by case basis, uh, that's what Don brought up was, is definitely a good point. And I think that uh, some cases also provide um, some context that really needs to really know. And over the last few weeks, uh, at least for ASU, a commodity in Lawrence uh, announced that he would return to Tempe and also ASU added Alonzo uh, Gaffney out of the JUCO ranks. Um, and I think that in this particular case, I think the case can be made that from a solid situation uh, and, and, and realize that, hey, look, it's a lot of competition here. I need to ensure I need I get some absolute playing time guaranteed 100%. It's like, nope, I'm out of here, which I have no problem with kids transferring. I don't. What I have a problem with is you transferring somewhere, and then you, it's like you see, you see what's going on around you and say, you know what? I'm not going to transfer to you. I'm going to transfer over here. That's how I have a problem with this. So transferring twice in a, in a year, like that, that's kind of really lose me a little bit. I, I, I understand where this is coming from. And it's why the transfer portal has been so popular uh, of kids either trying to take advantage of great play in the majors, trying to move up a little bit as far as the conference shift goes or trying to get some more playing time so they struggle in the power conference, go down to a mid-major. Like I totally get where this is coming from. I just think, I don't know if you guys could comment on what I'm trying to say here that Trying to trying to transfer somewhere, and then so things happen with the other with that place, and then the guy says, "You know what? Nope, I'm going to transfer over here instead." To me, that just kind of looks bad. That just looks like as a kid. That just looks to me as a kid that's afraid of competition, and, and, and quite frankly, to me that that's just a knock on on them. To me, that they're just afraid of competition, really. I mean, I disagree. Like I said, it, it's a di- it's different circumstances for everyone, and you know, Brahma. Not all details are probably revealed to him. Like, hey, we're 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 not. They're not telling him, hey, we're looking at this guy. We're looking at this guy. He comes into a situation, and then he he gets to there. He never officially transferred to ASU. He, I don't think he spent a day on a. I like I said, I I'm just speaking off the tip of my tongue here. I, we don't know the full details of what happened to him when he came to Arizona State and why he transferred away. All we know is that he is now transferring to Nevada. You know what? That's his personal choice and I think we have to respect it. I, I don't have any problems with it. My problem is that he chose to go to Nevada when he uh, because I'm a San Diego State fan. That, that's the only problem I have with it, and it's going to make Nevada better. That's it. Yeah, and, I mean, you, you brought up a good point. I do feel a little bad for you, Dom. You're San Diego State Aztecs of him. Uh, obviously going to the rival Nevada, but context cannot be ignored in some of these decisions. And while I agree with you partially, Nick, there also are the situations where someone is just, you know, someone's struggling or not having a good time and they just want to get out. But there are those situations where some guys are, you know, didn't get the playing time that they wanted and they're all, instead of, you know, fighting for the role and continuing to stick it out, they just decide, let's just transfer and let's just, instead of, finding a way to solve it let's just quit and find a new situation but you know i, I would say there are different elements to it and, and before i go to keith real quick i i think that kids you know trying to you know run from their problems and run to more greener passion instead of really trying to fight for your spot and develop that grit in you and develop that competitive fire you know i mean that could it can, it can really work both ways to me you know if they run away to those greener passions and get the playing time they're looking for and develop to a great player, it works out great. Um, but, you know, in some cases, you know, maybe, maybe that doesn't happen. 
And it really just, it, to me, it sort of uh, questions the competitive spirit a little bit with trying to fight a position battle. It makes me really question if they really even want to bother with any sort of positional battles and, and develop the grit and the competitiveness that they're going to need to develop within a positional battle. Uh, that could very much be a different sort of competitive spirit that goes on in a 40-minute basketball game. I mean, it's just, it's, just, it's just one of those things that it gets me to question personality traits a little bit when you look at more context. But you know what? If this ended up being a mutual thing, uh, you know what? I got no problem with that. It's just, it just makes me question some personality traits, if you know what I mean, Keith. Yeah, I get what you're saying. But when you look at this from a long-distance view, you have your high majors – you know, top conferences. You have your mid majors that come from Mountain West, A10, that conferences that we see, you know, get multiple bids every now and then. And even if they're one bid league, they're getting an 11 or 12 in there. And then you have your low majors, which we all know the very bottom of the barrel D1 conferences, very small schools. He was at Robert Morris, the NEC, Northeastern Conference. I think we would all agree it's probably one of the three or four worst conferences in college basketball so he's going from that level to the mountain west which is a borderline top 10 league in any given year and sometimes better than that Harris was talking about in the early 2010s how good that league was so he's still up transferring to Nevada and I mean how many Cinderella stories have we seen with a lot of players who transferred to that school so I mean we've been seeing this throughout college basketball and I get yes it it is all annoying as an ASU fan or as someone who likes, you know, commitment and hard work to see, okay, someone committed here and then, oh, they transferred over there. But I mean, this is a problem that we've been dealing with in college sports. And I mean, times are changing and, you know, it's, it's, uh, we're just going to have to adapt to it. And I think that's the biggest thing at the end of the day. Yeah. And we'll have to see if the NCAA even decides to address the, this rising issue of a transfer pool becoming the popular destination uh, for, for kids. I, I can't even remember the number anymore of how many chances we've seen this year in the portal, but it's been through the roof this year. And perhaps it's a case of a one year deal with the, with the COVID year. Perhaps it's a sign of you've got an, an epidemic, a chance for portal, but that, that is another discussion that perhaps the Bonanza has over the course of the next year or so. But to move on to our all time Cinderella tournament, obviously Harris and Keith played a big role in, in developing our, our brackets and the voters this week in the second round decided to wake up and choose chaos uh, as the bracket has been sort of, uh, it's, it's been turned a little bit and it's been turned in a way that has made things very, very interesting going forward into the regional finals this week. And we've seen two one seeds go down um, both the both cases they were 2021 entrance into this bracket uh, of course the 85 Villanova store the 86 LSU team they're out of it as the two ones that are out going into the regional finals which sets up some two very interesting matchups though from the slipper and the very tail regional the one seeds that remain 83 NC State 2011 VCU also had a, a, some some challenges that really uh had to have been dealt with, but it certainly seems like uh, the one seats are getting very competitive as far as the voters deciding, hey, look, we want the recency more than we want some, some of the, the elders in this case. Yeah, and I mean, the Sweet 16 is normally when we start to see 
some of these one seeds go down in the real NCAA tournament. So I think it's no surprise that we see Villanova, 1985 Villanova fall to 2021 Oregon State. And of course, Oral Roberts advance over 1986 LSU. And guys, how amazing is it that we have Oral Roberts and Florida Gulf Coast, the 215 seeds to make the, make the Sweet 16 advance to the Elite Eight and face each other in this bracket. That that's the matchup that I've been most excited for this entire tournament. And I think Florida Gulf coast should win because of the fact that they were the first to do it. You could also say Max Ace missed that last shot was so close to making the elite eight and probably being a one seed in their own right, or at least in Florida Gulf coast spot probably. So I'm just excited to see how it plays out. Yeah, that is certainly a matchup that, We'll talk a little bit more in, in depth here in the program, but uh, for, for you, Harris, uh, how shocked were you to see a couple of one seats go down in round two? Yeah, I was incredibly shocked. For me, the 86 LSU is what got me. This is a team that was the first ever 11 seed to go to the final four, so they started history. Also, they defeated, I believe they beat one-seeded Kentucky last year, or in 1986, excuse me. They beat three-seeded Memphis State, six-seeded Purdue. So they had a tough road as well. So for me, I just didn't get it. Like, I think a lot of these fans decided to choose the recency bias route, when in reality, you know, 1986, whatever happened in 1986 is just as important as whatever happens. It happened in 2019 or 2020. I just think people should have taking that in regard a little more before taking out the 1986 LSU Tigers. Yeah, and we're certainly not knocking our viewer base here, but it certainly is a very interesting uh, decision. And, and, and again, in that region, it sets up a fantastic regional final. Uh, Dom, your thoughts on the second round and how that transpired? It was kind of crazy. We also had multiple ties, Nick, that we had to break. And I think we'll talk about that together a little bit later. But it was interesting, you know. Some of the one seeds that hung on, I was like, okay, you know, good for them. Those two runs that I like. It was also weird that the 85 Villanova team lost and the 86 LSU team lost. And it's funny because, like, you know, you would say, well, oh, the recency bias. Well, you also look at it, NC State was able to get by too. So, I don't know. It just seems like uh, the LSU and Villanova Cinderella runs, I guess they might need some more publicity within the uh, college basketball community because, I mean, everyone knows about 83 NC State, but it seems like more people need to know about how historic the 86 LSU team was and how historic the 85 Villanova team was. Yeah, I believe the uh, Wakeling for the Big East 3 for 3 that, uh, that uh, released years ago has uh, great content uh, around that time period when the Big East was as strong as it was, and I do believe it touches on that a little bit. It's a great three for 30. I think I've watched that a couple of times now. It's a very good concept. But yes, Dom, you mentioned the tiebreakers. And of course, a couple of them did go to that situation. A uh, little Maryland UCLA matchup uh, went to that, which quite frankly, you know, when I'm sitting here working my internship, I'm, I'm keeping a close eye on this kids. You know, I, I figure I, I, in my mind, at least I'm sitting here trying to back off on it. You know, if I got to break a tie on the pole, I got to break a tie in the pole and I'll put my input in there. And there was a situation where I was so busy in the internship and that particular day and that pole is going on. I completely, I completely missed the time for it. Uh, and that, that point, I, I would have voted for the 90 millimeter out run. And I think when Dom and I uh, discussed that on phone call, I believe that was Thursday when we had that conversation. Uh, that's the way we ended up going with, with that. I believe NC State was the other tie, and 
we just sort of agreed there at the that the high seed would uh, get in there. But basically, both of those ties uh, decided by way of really executive decision if you want to go down that route. And now we have our final eight, our, our regional finals this week. Polls will be up on Sunday and Tuesday. Memorial Day is off. And I'm going to start off with the Slipper Regional Final 2021 Oregon State, 1990 Little Marymount. Both of these teams have such fantastic stories. And I believe you're the one, Keith, that we uh, introduced the bracket to our listener base that this was the story region. And how fitting is it that we get two of the better stories out of the entire region uh, to be in the regional final? Yeah, for sure. I mean, we already touched on it. Oregon State winning, wasn't it four games in four days in the Pac-12 tournament and then going on a run? They basically have to do it as well. Yeah, exactly. They weren't going to get in. Um, a few, including me, thought they were a little overseeded, and we we're like, okay. And I picked Tennessee over them, and then they make the Elite Eight, and then of course Loyola Marymount with Hank Gathers, um, one of the best players in the country, going down, and he was averaging over thirty point or around thirty points a game, over ten rebounds a game, dies on the court due to a heart condition. A lot of people know the Keontae Johnson story this year. Thank God that he made it through. Hank Gathers didn't. Have have that luxury and Bo Kimball uh, just put that team on his back and carried them all the way to the elite eight in that tournament so uh amazing stories there but the best story of all that Vill- Villanova team only eight seed to ever win the championship to defeat that Georgetown team I really don't understand how they got eliminated but hey uh Oregon State another Cinderella run making it as a five seed this far I just Hope that Loyal and Marymount carries through because I think that they are the clear winner there. But I've talked enough about this. I'll let y'all recap the rest. Yeah. Okay. So, guys, I have a slight rant here, okay, about the 1985 Villanova. This is a team that was the lowest seed to ever win a national championship, ever. And they got eliminated by 2021 Oregon State. Now, granted, only two 12 seeds have been to the Elite Eight. Sure. But it's not a one-and-one. It is not a one of a kind by any measure because O2 Mizzou did the exact same thing. And I get it. They're NC State 83, sure. But this 85 Villanova team defeated a George Stack Georgetown team with Patrick Ewing, who was the undisputed number one pick. As a matter of fact, he was so undisputed that the NBA actually rigged the lottery, so called, just so the Knicks would get the number one pick. That's how good Patrick Ewing was. And this Villanova team beat him. And yet they got eliminated by Oregon State. I just think some of these fans need to be educated here. And I just had to imply the input, Nick. I'm sorry. You, you can take it away, but that's what I have to say. Yeah, I also, before Nick goes, I wanted to remind everyone that we talked with LMU head coach Stan Johnson in the last episode. He gave some insight on what, how the program views that NCAA tournament run. So if you missed that, make sure to go and listen to that on whatever your podcast platform of choice is. You took the words right out of my mouth, Dom. <laughs> Let's go. You normally speak first, so I'll take that. <laughs> oh, man. That might, might be the one I give you uh, down the line. But to move on in our regional final analysis to the Miracle Regional, uh, 83 NC State, 2014, UConn, 1-3 matchup. Uh, certainly, this will be a very intriguing one as NC State had a Tough, tougher time with the voters again in the regional semi, so it could very well be the same thing here in the regional final coming up. It shouldn't. This this should be a walkover. I mean, you're talking about 
a historic, historic NC State uh, tournament run. And like I said, when you watch an NCAA tournament game at the beginning, if you turn it on like five minutes before the tip-off, before the announcers go and give the game preview, you see the three clips. You see the Chris Jenkins buzzer beater. You see the Christian Leitner turnaround jumper. And you see Coach Valvano running on the floor because his team just won the national title game. That's how historic this NC State team is. They need to beat UConn. And I, I loved watching that seven-seed UConn team winning the national title game. It was awesome. But, again, NC State needs to win here. Yeah, for sure. And I would agree with you, Dom, 100%. This NC State team needs to win here. It was a historic run, one that's still remembered to this day. Now, 2014 UConn run was special, a seven-seed winning the national championship with a first-year head coach, second-year Maybe first or second year, also in a new conference just out of the Big East. So interesting situation there. But no, this NC State team beat a stacked Houston team by Salama Jamma with Clyde Drexler and Akeem. This NC State team deserves to advance. I mean, I'm going to ask one question. And I would agree with you that NC State team, they beat that Houston team with Akeem Drexler, just absolutely stacked. Um, They were that Houston team was still probably the better team if they never go into the four corners. I think they win that game, but the story's undeniable. But let me ask y'all, what seed was NC State when they won that title? That's a good point. That's a good there point. There were six, yes. And <laughs> it, six UConn was the seven. UConn was the okay. seven. So theoretically, that's more impressive. And I could see why the voters would make that decision um to put UConn above them especially when you factor in recency because clearly that's a factor here but I would vote for NC State but it's not out of this world to pick UConn over them yeah and I I think it's the reason why we ended up putting it as a three seed to really begin with and that'll be a very interesting regional final the Auburn regional final another one three matchup 2011 VCU team against 2018 UNBC this is also going to be another really intriguing and fun regional final uh just to see uh really just where the voters think of, of this i think that this could be a 2011 vcu's final could be umbc's final i think there's really uh points to make for both and i definitely think that this is a regional final that to, to me at least from, from what we've seen in the past couple of rounds of the, of the voting could go either direction right you can't really say well recency bias here in this one i mean i guess you can with umbc because i'm sure more people remember that than the VCU, but you're talking about two teams who were the first to complete their tasks, VCU first four to final four, and UMBC the first ever 16 seed to defeat a one seed. Listen, I love that UMBC team, but I mean, it's important to remember, VCU won five tournament games, UMBC won one. Now, that didn't stop people from picking UMBC over George Mason when they won four, as opposed to UMBC's one, but uh, if you're listening, just remember, Five is greater than one. And it's not like VCU was a high seed either. Yeah, I mean, this is truly UMBC going through and having to face another 11 seed to get to the final four. Uh, But this time they had to win five games instead of four. It will be interesting to see how the voters value um, that first four and recency bias. I think those are the only two differentiators between VCU and George Mason here. So, yeah, it's going to be inter- interesting. <laughs> it's going to be interesting to see what happens in this matchup, but also uh, color schemes almost identical. I, that kind of caught my eye. 
good eye, Keith. You have a very artistic eye in that case. <laughs> <laughs> but I will say, um, I'm not going to go on another huge rant here, but George Mason should be here. I will establish that and say that. This is a team that beat Michigan State and North Carolina, a really small school that was in the Colonial Athletic Conference at the time. But anyway, the fans gave us UMBC, so we're going to – I'm going to take BCU in this. I'm going to say that they beat the number one, number one seed in Kansas. I get that – and okay, like Dom said, five is greater than one. It's not rocket science. That's – that's it. That's all the analysis I have. <laughs> you know, if it was rocket science, God help the four of us out. We'd be able to really uh, wrap our right. <laughs> but again, thank goodness it's not. Uh, the Fairy Tail Regional Final, we've touched on this a little bit, 2013 for the Gulf Coast and 2021 Oral Roberts. This is going to be one heck of a matchup. I think this is the one that I really salivate uh, about the most of the four matchup that we have here. You know, the 215 seeds that made it to the second weekend and they faced each other. And I think that's about as fitting as you could have possibly have written it up. Pain. I'm voting Oral Roberts to uh, alleviate the pain of FGCU beating San Diego State when I thought they were going to absolutely smash them. But uh, yeah, I mean, these are two very comparable runs because you're talking about 215 seeds winning their first two games. I, I, I'm going to find this very intriguing. I'd be shocked if Oral Roberts loses just because it's so recent and they're obviously very similar, but I mean, Florida Gulf coast has the precedent, which is a word that we used a lot when, uh, when seeding these teams, that's why FGCU was the two and Oral Roberts was the four, but four Roberts could beat LSU. I don't see why they can't beat FGCU. Yeah, I would agree with you. And also the differentiator here, both of these teams, you looked at how they played in the Sweet 16 when they got there. Oral Roberts um, against Arkansas was one basket away, whereas Florida Gulf Coast, on the other hand, they got blown out by Florida in that Sweet 16, hung for a while, and then by the end, it was not close. So I would give the nod to Oral Roberts here, and I just have to say, I would have had Florida Gulf Coast as a one. I know we talked about that, and I eventually conceded, uh, you know, that – some other teams should be in there, but I thought they should have been a one. And I, I thought Oral Roberts should have been probably a two. So for me, I'm just happy this matchup happened, but I already talked about that, but yeah, just super hyped to see these two there. And uh, I will be casting a vote on this one. Yeah. I'm, you know what, Keith, I'm going to disagree with you. I think it should be Florida Gulf coast. I mean, this, this or Roberts team, it's a great Cinderella. Sure. But they were one shot away from losing to the 82nd defensive team, de- best defensive team in the country, according to, according to Ken Palm, excuse me, the Ohio State Buckeyes. But Florida Gulf Coast beat Georgetown, beat, didn't they? They beat San Diego State pretty handily, if to my memory, did they, Dom? It wasn't handily, but I mean, they beat them by like, I think eight. Eight, something like that. Sorry. But yeah. Okay. Anyway. I would take Florida Gulf Coast. That three-seed Florida, by the way, was a fantastic three-seed. I thought they were a little underseeded that year. I would say Florida Gulf Coast just because of the fact that Oral Roberts was one shot away from losing to Ohio State and got lucky. They faced a super overseeded Florida, who I think should have been around the 10 or 11 seed. But, yeah, that's my say. I, I would disagree with you, Keith. Well, Georgetown was the 80th ranked offensive team when FGCU went on their run. So, I mean, the parallels are undeniable between these two (laughs) teams. And again, just super hyped that these two are matching up. 
man. Yeah. I can already tell that's going to be a lot of fun for our listeners to decide. Over on our Twitter page, at College Bonanza, that's where you're going to want to go uh, to decide and cast your vote on our all-time Cinderella Tournament Regional Finals. The Miracle Regional and the Fairy Tale Regional Finals will be on Sunday. Polls will run for 24 hours. Once they are posted again, you're going to want to follow us on Twitter at College Bonanza to make your voice heard. The Slipper Regional and the Barn Regional polls will take place on Tuesday as we are starting Memorial Day within our polling schedule as well. So, again, a lot of intrigue there and all kinds of fantastic intrigue um, going forward uh, in this particular tournament in the coming weeks. And, of course, we certainly hope to have Keith and Harris on again uh, when it does come time for the Final Four, as that is going to be a very uh, exciting time for us here at the College Bonanza. But, of course, we thank Keith and Harris from Triple Threat uh, for joining us on this edition of the College Bass Bonanza. For those two and for Dominic Stern, I am Nicholas Heldell. Have a very good rest of your week. And, of course, do not forget, if you want to catch any of the other cops we've done throughout the past week and throughout the past season, of course, keep on listening to all the episodes on your preferred podcast platform. We'll see you right back here on your preferred podcast platform for the next edition of the College Basketball Bonanza.